Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday just in time for your daily commute. I'm Jules Boyle and today I'm joined by Football Scotland's own Emperor Palpatine, Johnny McFarlane and the angry young Ewok Vershaw, Gavin Mackay. <laughs> <laughs> on the pod today we're going to have a look at Andrew Alessio and what he's saying all means for Kilmarnock as well as an in-depth look at the transfer coming and goings across Scottish football. Okay, well first up, yesterday saw Kilmarnock's laid down a serious marker with the news that they filled the very big shoes left by Steve Clark with none other than Angelo Alessio. Just need to look at that man's CV to see what an absolute coup this is for that club. Alongside Antonio Cotty, he's been at Juventus, he's at Chelsea, the Italian national team, and now he's at Rugby Pugby. Gaby, what's your reaction to those news? Yeah, I think it was a really it was a really big coup. It was a lot of excitement when it was announced. It was one of those where if you looked at the the bookie odds in the weeks coming up to it, I think it kind of showed that they really kept everything under the hat. Nobody had a clue. You'd guys like Ali McCoist and Neil McCann and Gary Holt getting linked, and I understand the Holt one because he's a sort of Kelly legend and a Kelly fan, but it was one nobody really saw coming until just sort of over the weekend. We kind of got a few rumours, and then it was confirmed on Sunday. And I think you know for a guy of that stature to be coming to Kilmarnock's just a a really big deal. I think. Absolutely, I mean Johnny. I mean, obviously, Steve Clark's like they've done so much with that club there. Got them in third position. Got them into like, the record amount of points. He done amazingly for them. I mean, what, what can he do to improve in that or, or, or maintain it? Well, it's going to be very, very difficult. But you do get a sense uh, from the club, from the fans, that Kilmarnock is a side that is on the up, irrespective of the fact Stephen Clark, Stevie Clark, has gone to the Scotland job. You feel that it's actually bigger than Stevie Clark. You saw that full stand of Kilmarnock fans, normally Rangers fans, in the last game of the season. And you saw the whole ground rocking with an atmosphere that was unlike anything you've probably seen at Rugby Park for many, many a years. Gabe would know better than me how often they can't, they have that Only kind when they of play atmosphere. air, really much. Right. <laughs> Basically, derbies against air is pretty much it. Uh, so, so you get a sense that it's bigger than one man. The problem will be, of course, if the rails come off in terms of disappointment, if it doesn't work... Um, obviously quite quickly then there's a potential that that momentum will be lost but you get a sense that Billy Bowie's quite a serious guy and he has serious ambitions for for Kilmarnock and uh, I would if I was a Kilmarnock fan I'd be extremely excited as Gaby says about this development you've got a guy who's been at the absolute elite level and I think that's often a much bigger and better barometer of potential success than, say, experience. Now, there's a lot of people digging out Stephen Gerrard when he got the Rangers job on account of his lack of experience. But how do you equate the the, the experience of a, of a top-level, say, Scottish manager who's, who's managed, say, Aberdeen or Kilmarnock or uh, even a Morton very, very well compared to someone who's been at the very elite of the game? I don't know if, if if one is better than the other, you know. I think that Steven Gerrard's proven that he's been able to bring in, for example, a lot of the things that he learned at Liverpool and throughout his career. And I would expect Alessio to be very similar. He will bring in the kind of standards that he saw at Juventus. At, you know, the kings of Europe, the Juventus, over the years have been one of the premier clubs. You talk about Chelsea, he's won the Premier League there. This is a guy of severe substance, and I think it's fascinating and exciting for the Scottish uh, Premiership to have a guy of this calibre come into the game. Now, it may not work out, but I, I think Billy Bowie should be applauded for having the bollocks to go out and get someone who isn't on the usual list, isn't one of the usual suspects for this role, to go out and find somebody who can bring those kind of standards and that kind of experience to the Scottish, the Scottish game. 
Absolutely. I mean, Gaby, obviously, I mean, you know, Kilmarnock, you know, is your, is your team, as you're, you're quite proudly admitting. Italian football was your other thing, short of Taylor Swift doing the <laughs> half-time draw. It's pretty much your, your dream ticket, isn't it? I mean... Well, I have been trying to get Tay to do the half-time draw, so we'll <laughs> see if that happens next season. But no, absolutely. As I think, just going on from what Johnny says, you just have to look at the kind of calibre of players he's worked with over his career. Pirlo, Buffon, Hazard, Kante, Tevez. You know, for a guy to be working on the training ground, coaching guys like that every day, he's, he's always got to know his stuff. Do you know what I mean? Coming in now. So the only concern, obviously, I guess, would be the two things. Italian coaches are known for being very tactical, Scottish players and indeed fans and media are perhaps not as receptive to that so that's obviously something that I think you'll have to get on board with but I think it'll help that obviously he's worked with those players at that level that you know if you see the players eyes start to glaze over he can say look you listen to me I've coached these players I know this is what it takes to get it done the second would be transfers Uh, in Italy every club works with the sporting director there isn't one at Komarnik so he'll be presumably in charge of recruitment which isn't something uh, an Italian coach would be used to but again you think B- Billy Bowie obviously knows what he's doing you think they've got something in place for that the same backroom team's there was, was there under Steve Clark so he's going into a structure that's already quite well set up so yeah I think it's a really interesting and exciting appointment for Scottish football That's a big question for me because a lot of the time you bring in a, a coach who then has a backroom team that he wants to bring in do you think that that, that he will be the kind of guy that will actually work uh, and dovetail well with the guys that are already there? I would assume so. I'd assume he wouldn't have taken the job. He would have known that that was part of the job. I don't think they'd have given him the job if he didn't think he could. It may well be that he'll bring maybe one or two people from Italy that he knows and he feels comfortable working with. But I think for a manager to come into a country he hasn't worked in before, uh, which is his second language, it makes sense that you would keep around guys who have been part of a successful project before, who know the club, who know the league. I think that's maybe one of the mistakes Paul Le Guin made when he was at Rangers. He came into a league he didn't know brought all his own kind of staff with him I know there were some sort of lower down but all the staff around him were basically the guys he had from France and it didn't really work out so I think it makes a lot of sense to come into a structure that is already set up to do well and just uh, try and build on that basically and for me Jules it's not as big a cultural jump because he's worked in England I mean we know that the English game is different fundamentally to the Scottish game particularly about the amount of money and the amount of quality that's down there but in terms of the attitudes that Gabe's discussed earlier in terms of the style of football in terms of the, what the fans demand it's not going to be as big a cultural shock as it would be a culture shock should I say cultural shock as it would be if he'd gone straight from Italy to Kilmarnock he'll have had that bedding in period of a couple of years down in the Premier League that will have got him used to kind of what he might expect. Now, it's different. It is different. And there will be things that surprise him and shock him. I think he'll be surprised by the physicality. I think he'll be surprised by the pace of the game, the fitness of the players, um, in terms of how in-your-face and aggressive they can be in Scotland. But it won't come as big a surprise as, say, it would have for the aforementioned Mr Le Guin. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the last time an assistant manager at Chelsea came to Kelly, it worked out quite well. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> there is a precedent being set. I mean, obviously, I mean, Gabe, you watch a lot of Italian football more, more than your average average bear, um, and I mean that in the, the animal sense, obviously. So, but I mean, what what do you think? I mean, what, what kind of football? I mean, Steve Clark's team were a hard team to beat. He made them; they were very organised. Nobody liked going to Rugby Park when he was there, and to be honest, a lot of the time nobody liked them coming to their grounds. What sort of football is he going to bring? Is he going to continue that and make them a really you know a solid unit that's kind of. Nobody wants to have to go in and see. 
Well, I think I've been reading up on him today for a, an article that's going to go up on the site. So he said before that basically what he'll do is he's pragmatic and not in the football style sense, as in he'll look at the players he's got and he'll try and fit to that. Now, I think if you're a manager coming into that club, you wouldn't want to rip everything up because it's been successful. So I'd imagine he'll start off continuing with what Clark did and maybe trying to gradually work in his own ideas because you're not going to come in and totally revolutionise the style of football. Why would you, having finished third the season before? I think... So I think you'll see a lot of that to start off. It'll probably be you know very tactical, very organised, very disciplined, which again is what we expect from Italian coaches. That's uh, If you ask Italians, they'll say that their education of coaches is the best in the world, the Italian managers are the best in the world. And part of that is that they're so uh, detail-oriented and tactically focused. So I think it'll be... I think, again, next season, teams won't be wanting to play Comarnock because they'll probably still be well-drilled, well-organised, hard to beat. Yeah, yeah the, the thing that was very interesting about Conte's early days at uh, Chelsea, which were very successful, he switched to this 3-4-3, and it was unlike anything I think the Premier League had really seen for quite a long time, in that you had these two rampaging fullbacks and two inverted rampaging wingers. So any team that came up against Chelsea were stretched all over the place. And it would be fascinating if he brought that to Scottish football, because that's not that kind of fluid 3-4-3 that becomes a, without getting too geeky about it, three, a sort of 5-2-3 is not something we see very often in Scottish football. It would be fascinating to see it in, in practice, see how, how the coaches here would, uh, would uh, go against that. I think that's a, a good example when I was talking about the pragmatism. So Conte, famously now, everyone says he plays back three. In his early career, he played a sort of 4-4-2 come sort of 4-2-4. It was only when he went to Juventus and they signed Pirlo and he basically went, well, you can't play Pirlo in a midfield two, but also you've got to play Pirlo. <laughs> so that's why they, at Juventus, he started playing with a 3-5-2 as a way to have uh, players, two players with Pirlo and also to get the width with the wingbacks. And then he went to Chelsea and he did a 3-4-3, which, again, I think he probably liked the, the back three, but he was like, well, we need to get Hazard in this team. We don't have two sort of traditional strikers in the way he did it, Juventus with you know, Tevez and Llorente. So he's adapted that with the 3-4-3 so you can get Hazard in the team. And Alessio, having worked under him for many years, you'd think he'd have a similar approach that he'll go in there, he'll look at the squad, he'll look at the players, and he'll try and come up with a system that suits them rather than trying to impose his own ideas of the game. I think Gaby's touched on a couple of the dangers there as well. I think um, he talked about the fact that he's not bought players probably before because that's not the Italian model. And I think that's definitely a potential problem. Um, And I think the other one is, of course, he's not been a manager in his own right. So you don't know how he's going to react to that. Now, he's 54. He's no spring chicken. um, He's had a lot of experience built up in the game. And dealing with players should be uh, second nature to him. But he's never really dealt with players at this level for quite a long time. I think he's had eight years with Conte. So to deal with players at Kilmarnock's level, very good players, players like Greg Taylor, um, who who are um, coming to the fore in the Scottish game and have been performing well for a couple of seasons. But it's a big jump to go from coaching Eden Hazard to coaching that kind of player. And it's whether or not he can adapt to that because it's not the same thing. You know, a player like Eden Hazard can do things that that not even Kilmarnock's you know, best attacking player could even think about doing. Yeah, he did He did work in the Italian lower leagues briefly uh, with sort of qualified success. But again, that's sort of the other end of the scale from the from the Chelsea Hazard thing. You know, Kilmarnock, you'd say, was somewhere in the middle. You'd be working in the Italian lower leagues with very small budgets, with, you know, very small crowds, with players who aren't obviously the best. 
then you go to Chelsea, Juventus, Italy, you're working with the very elite. This one's somewhere in the middle and that's obviously something he's going to have to deal with. Of course, it'll be fascinating to see a few Italian players coming into the Scottish game and presumably there's some decent free agents out there that other Scottish coaches would never even think about bringing in. And we've already seen players like Manuel Pasquale come in and do very well at Kilmarnock, so there's a history of that already. Yeah, absolutely. You'd imagine that he'll have a lot of contacts in Italy, that he'll be able to get in players who he knows, who have been recommended to him, who would do well. And like you say, Pascal is a bit of a club legend. I think he's the, got the most appearances for a foreign player for Kilmarnock. He was the captain, obviously. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm just saying, Conte's in a... Mauro Icardi, he's not wanted there. We we loan to Rugby Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, Italian players have actually done pretty well in Scottish football over the years. You think of Gattuso, Perini, Amoruso, um, Pasquale, Bruno at Hearts, Decanio. Um, Decanio. There's there's rarely been an Italian player that's come to Scottish football and completely flopped. Um, so you know it might be an interesting one if they start coming into Killians to see what they can potentially do. Absolutely, I think it definitely could. I mean, obviously, and as well, I mean, you touched on it a little bit earlier on. Kelly seem to be a team with a club with ambitions at the moment. They seem to be, you know, it's not all about Steve Clark. Steve Clark's obviously, I think, lit a fire under it. You've got Billy Bowie there. They seem to be wanting to do more. They want to do better. They've done really well. They've brought this guy in. What what, what do you think their realistic ambitions are for next season and, go, and going beyond? Well, I think it was fascinating that just before Steve Clark took uh, took charge, there was a BBC Scotland debate with uh, Graham Spears uh, and uh, Michael Stewart, and they were talking about that the Falkirk job would be less attra- would be more attractive than the Killy job at the time, and they were talking about how Falkirk looked like a club on the up, whereas Killy it was like a, a sort of club that had a fading pulse almost. And you look at back at that now, and it just seems remarkable, but. They weren't really wrong in a way, but it's a club that's been completely re-energised. And, you know, we've touched on that. And I think if they can channel that with this new manager, they can go from strength to strength. I don't see any reason why Kelly can't continue to be the third force. They've got the squad there. They've got the basis of it. Every time I see Kelly players being challenged to a new level, I'm surprised. Greg Taylor and Stephen O'Donnell. I looked at those two at full-back positions for Scotland against Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard, and I said to Gaby before the game, that does not look good. That does not fill me with confidence. He said, you might be surprised. And you know what? I think everyone in Scotland who was tweeting about it and ridiculing them and saying this is preposterous was surprised. These players have scope to improve. And if I was a Kelly fan, I'd be looking at this saying, we're in a good place at the moment, provided this is not one of these appointments like a Paul Le Guin or a John Barnes that just is a disaster I can't see Kelly really being a team that's going to go too far downhill they've got too much quality in that setup. Gaby as a Kelly fan where, 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 do you, where do you see it going where do you like it going I think we've got to be realistic so I'd settle for just winning the Europa League this season <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough you can't remotely argue with that ok moving on um, there's pl- plenty going on it's a summer transfer window now so there's loads of coming and goings and it's most definitely not a slow news day so we've got plenty plenty to talk about first up Michael Lustig who's apparently in Ghent right now having a medical um, he's going to be badly missed for the Celtic fans isn't he? I love, it. I love it how we've anglicised his name Michael Lustig Michael Lustig <laughs> Michael Lustig I've glasgow sizes at his name that's all he's getting <laughs> okay he's been a great servant for Celtic hasn't he I think he that's eight, eight titles he's won so yep. he's been there yep. for all eight 14 trophies um, so I think he'll go down as a club legend frankly I mean he's not one of the more talented players that would uh, befit that that um, that title but he's certainly that can't be ignored now the amount he's won 
you know, people look back as well on some great moments. I think he scored a terrific solo goal at Ibrox that people will talk about for for many years to come. Um, and and if he does leave, then uh, you know I think he'll be highly highly thought of. I, I personally think it's a bit of a bizarre one that Celtic would want to let him go. I think Jules, you've been talking about it quite often on these podcasts, and I have to agree with you. I think they'll find it very difficult to replace a Sweden international who's only thirty two who still performed to a fairly high level last season and I think improved under Neil Lennon, one of the few players that actually came on a little bit because I think Neil Lennon adjusted his role somewhat. Um, so I think he would have been worth keeping around even as a second choice or mm. a player that could fight for the role uh, with maybe a young player coming alongside him. And now Celtic need two right-backs and... Uh, I think that's why I think Adam Matthews is going to end up at Celtic. But I know the I know the fans don't like that. I think for the past two seasons, though, you'd have to say he's not been what he was. He's sort of. I think it'd probably be fair to say he's lost a step in the last two seasons. You know, he's been more the sort of meme of Lustig than the player. You know, putting on police hats in the celebrations. And obviously, Celtic fans love him and understand why. But I think maybe it was just the right time to move on. He's not the player he was. He's thirty-two. Is he? You know, is he really going to be getting any better? He's not an improving player. Has he ever, though, been a particularly mobile attacking fullback? I mean, sometimes I think people ignore the fact that under Brendan Rodgers' system, he was kind of an auxiliary centre-half more than that guy who's overlapping on the right. I mean, Tierney pushed up and then the the wing player pushed over to the other side. It wasn't quite as uh, dynamic as people think with two fullbacks pushing right up. Lustig kind of tucked in more. So, so I think this idea, yes, he did absolutely lose a step of pace, as you would expect from a player that age. But I, I don't think it's actually that necessary. I think he's a solid defensive right back. Um, if you're going up against Rangers, would you rather have a Lustig type or would you rather have a sort of Gamboa type who's rampaging up and down? Yeah, well, Lustig, didn't he get an absolute hounding from Kent the first Strangers game they lost? So, you know. Yeah, everyone has bad games though. But yeah, well, of course no, do, no, yeah. I totally agree. But I mean, I have been saying this for, for most of the season. I mean, it's not even so much the issue of does he, how much they still have to offer. They now re- to replace him with two players that are better than him right now. Not, not peak Lustig as he is right now. They need two players to come in. That's a hard ask. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you bring in a right-back to play alongside Lustig for this next season, then you can much more um, successfully or, or, or certainly more smoothly bring in another right-back to replace Lustig next season. It's just one, because you know that you bring in a guy, he's, an, he's not a success, you still have Lustig who's going to give you 6 out of 10 every week that's going to be functional in the in the Scottish Premiership. Yeah. But we don't know yeah. if Lustig was happy to play back up. We don't know what kind of salary no, he was asking for. You know, we these don't. are the kind of intangibles that, I mean, so I agree with you sort of academically on that point, but we don't know if it's as simple as that. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of Celtic fans, but obviously they love him. Do you know I mean, it's PC Lustig and all this sort of yeah. stuff like that, but I think he'd still do something to offer. And I think the issue is then, you know, you bring in Adam Matthews as you, as you pulled out there. If that does happen, you will be getting the credit for it. Johnny. Yeah. Called it. Called, called it. it. Absolutely called well, it. We know, we know Peter Lawwell listens to this show. <laughs> yeah. It does. It does indeed, yeah. So. Listen, it's just one of those in football that um, that just makes absolute sense. You've got a guy who has been a success before at Celtic. Uh, is 27, is available on a free, hasn't had a very good time of it down in the Premier League. But fundamentally, you look at the the aspects of, of what he's done. He was a very good, solid player for Celtic. Got a £2 million move to the Premier League. And it just hasn't worked out for him. You can get him now on a free, probably on reasonable wages. He's a Wales international. He's already done it at Celtic. To me, it's like one of those ones where you think Neil Lennon will just go, no-brainer. I might be wrong. 
I'd I've been slaughtered on Twitter <laughs> about this. You have. I've actually seen folk agreeing with you and folk of respect who know what they're talking about have actually agreed with it, which I meant to tell you. So people yeah. did do it. I think as a reserve player, I think that would work. I think, or if Celtic sign some more players first, if Adam Matthews is the first guy Lennon brings up in after <laughs> after failing to get Izzy, we know that, and it's Adam Matthews, I think it would just be like, oh, this is yeah. where we're going. You know what I mean? It's a statement of intent, the opposite that Kelly have done of, you know, we're getting the old gang back together. It's like one of those films when the old men try and rob a bank. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, here we go, Adam yeah. Matthews. Celtic, the expendable years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Just like, oh, God. It'll be further evidence to support Adam's piece that the banter years for Celtic have now begun. They've now begun, exactly. I think yeah. I think that would be the issue. So, yeah, that, that is a concern for, for a lot of Celtic fans, but I think you're quite right. So, so moving on... Um, Moving on to the other side of the Clyde, um, Shay Ojo arrived at Hummel today, um, possibly as one of the readers pointed out, in a milk float, um, we're not entirely sure. Looked like a big Hummer, didn't it? It looked like thought, one of these yeah. ont- entourage things. Like a Hummel Hummer. A big Hummel Hummer, yeah, we looked at some <laughs> big huge thing, not a milk float, but yeah, I think it was some sort of, you know, a proper entourage type, type delivery service. Um, so obviously... Half expecting uh, Vince, what was his name, Vince, remind me? Cable? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Vinny Chase. Vincent Chase, Vinny Chase. To rock out with uh, Johnny Drama. With Johnny Drama. And, and Johnny and Drama belongs there. Yeah, and we Turtle. Yeah, yeah but yeah. didn't happen, sadly. No. Celtic will probably sign Turtle. So. Gaby has no idea what we're talking <laughs> oh, about. God Entourage, my, come on, HBO. Never seen it. Okay, Dear never mind. Lord, okay. Anyway, Shay Ojo, um, talented young man, uh, coming up, being talked about for a while. Um, Johnny, um, what do you know about him? Do you think he's going to be a good pull for them? Well, I saw a piece that was written by Paul Gorse, the Liverpool Echo, talking about him, and the thing that jumped out to me was this. He talked about him being physically powerful, almost to the point that he's too physically powerful. He's too built up. Um, In the past, uh, Jurgen Klopp has talked about players that um, have a beach body, that's all that that's all that, that body is useful for. They're, they're carrying too many kilograms of, of muscle for football. And uh, apparently Ojo fit into this critique. But you know what? There's a big difference between the Premier League and the Premiership. And I think in the Premiership, that kind of physicality will be a positive for Rangers. On top of that, you have a guy with explosive pace. Um, now, you look at his past uh, loans. He's been in uh, France last year uh, with, I think, Rem. Didn't do anything particularly exciting there. I don't think he got a single goal or assist. He was moved down to their B team, and I think he, he, he finally got a goal down there. But certainly in uh, Ligue 1, he did not perform. He's had very good clubs. He's had Fulham. He's had Wigan. He's had uh, a number of, of decent England si- English sides that he's been down on loan to. And it's never really exploded for him. So you're hoping, if you're a Rangers fan, that you're going to see another sort of Ryan Kent situation because Kent was exactly the same. He didn't have any spectacular loan spells. Um, that he can come in and uh, do what Ryan Kent did last year. But I think the signs in terms of his physical makeup and what he has in his locker suggest to me this could be a good sign. It might be a concern, though, that he didn't do it in league. Now, I know they were playing him through the middle, which isn't necessarily his position, but... A lot of English clubs buy players from France because the French league is a lot more physical than, say, the Italian or Spanish. You look at players like Didier Drogba, players like that, who have done well in France. So it might be a concern if he couldn't make that impact in a league which is a little bit more physical than, you know, say, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Italian league, that if he couldn't make that impact there, will that necessarily... Because just because he's got this big frame, this big muscular frame, will that necessarily work in Scotland if it didn't work in France? Now, obviously, the standard in Ligue 1 is higher than it is in the Premiership, 
but it's maybe not quite as um, you know round peg in a round hole as as it looks from the outside. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, until we see how he settles into the Strangers team, we just really have no idea. Um, and and time will tell. I think it's it's got potential to be very interesting at the very least. Absolutely. I mean, obviously staying at Rangers as well, Joe Rebo looks almost over the line as well. Um, by all accounts, that seems to be happening. I mean, where do you think he's going to fit into Gerrard's plans? Well, again, by all accounts, he's the skillful um, playmaker that Rangers have been missing. Uh, that I mean, I spent... It felt like hours and hours and hours on another podcast talking about how Steven Gerrard needed someone who could unlock the door um, of pack defences. I mean, um, Kilmarnock last season, game after game after game, Rangers struggled to break down that Stevie Clark uh, low block. Um, for the first few games, Gaby, before you get upset about the last <laughs> one, we are certainly Kilmarnock with a better side. Face of thunder here. Um, but, uh, you know, guys 22, played very well for... Um, Charlton last season I think he got 9 goals in 36 games from an attacking midfield position so the numbers are decent but again it's a big jump from League 1 in England I think to the Scottish Premiership and, and Rangers so if they can get them it looks like it's going to be quite an expensive package I think just talked today that it's 20k a week it's a lot of money by Scottish football standards they clearly think this kid has something so again if they get that over the line amid a lot, amidst a lot of interest from other clubs I think Rangers will be very happy to have got that deal done. Whether or not he can be the answer, time will tell. But they definitely need somebody in that position. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot to ask of him, I think, at 22, to sort of carry that burden. And if they're paying him 20 grand a week, if the reports are to be believed, then they obviously do expect him to be the guy who really takes the sort of creative burden of that midfield on his shoulders, which it, it could work out well. He obviously did really well at Charlton last season, but we've seen players come up before, guys like Janino, Joey Barton, more experienced players who just couldn't really hack the sort of physical uh, rough and tumble sort of nature of the game. And I think for a young player like he is, he'll have to do, adapt quickly to that. But And I can't, I can't say I've seen too much of him, so I wouldn't like to say whether he will or he won't. But certainly it's, it, it's, it's a gamble, but I think it's an exciting signing. Absolutely. And just stay with Rangers one more time because obviously they're keeping themselves very busy in the transfer market at the moment. Um, Jordan Jones, the red car of Ronaldo himself. Gaby, you've been looking on this? Yeah, well, he's. I think on his day, he's possibly the most exciting winger in the league. He's really quick. He's really skillful. You know, he can he can go by a player and he's not... He gave uh, poor Aaron Comrie at St. Johnson. He gave him an absolute hounding twice, I think. I mean, he literally ended his St. Johnson career after the second time. I don't think he played again. <laughs> uh, he absolutely destroyed Stephen Whitaker in a game at Rugby Park last season as well. Whitaker lost a bit of pace, was playing right wing back against Jones, which was a strange decision. The question for me would be when he's playing against packed defences where he can't use that pace, where his, you know, his final ball isn't always great. It's always been frustrating. If he's playing for Rangers against teams that are more likely to sit in, will he be able to do that? Now, when they play in Europe and they have to play on the break more, I think he could be a really good asset because, again, his pace is lightning. Even if he doesn't get a goal or an assist, he gets you up the park. He'll get the fans off their seats. You know, Football fans, they always like to see a guy who you know get his head down, take a player on, get to the byline. So there's that aspect of it, but I would question how well he'll be able to do against, you know, Livingston, Kilmarnock, whoever, teams that just sit in that low block where he won't have the space, he'll probably have players doubled up on him. Yeah, I mean, the spectre that is the ghost of Michael Halloran 
and, and I say that knowing that I shouldn't be talking about ghosts in front of the haunted <laughs> Jules Boyle. Jules has been haunted, folks, and has been telling us about ghosts in his house. Yep. Um, with a straight face, may I add. Indeed. Yep. Um, Come up any time. So I shouldn't really be talking about ghosts lest I, <laughs> I see a man in tears in front of me. Um, but this awful, awful transfer that Rangers did for Michael O'Halloran um, and the results of it, which were a player who was very, very effective for St. Johnson in their tactical setup, but completely neutered in Rangers. Um, I think these shades of that in this deal. Now, I think Jordan Jones is a better player than Michael O'Halloran, um, who is mostly about pace. J- Jordan Jones has a trick, and he's, I think he's, he's, he's a more complete finisher and things like that. Um, but I worry... I worry for when he's going to be used because so many teams just sit in against Rangers. Uh, Jordan Jones might well just have been bought because he'll be a terrific outlet against Celtic, against Aberdeen away, against Hearts, maybe Hibs away, uh, in European ties. Um, or maybe he'll come in and do spectacularly well in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a different environment. But I do think I would, uh, I think, echo a lot of the sentiment that I've seen on social media from Rangers fans who are a little bit um, reticent to get too excited about this one. I think you saw his strength, uh, the game where he scored against Rangers after he signed for them. That was when he was playing against McCauley, who's 39, who'd already been booked for fouling him in the first half. And the goal he scored, he's obviously running at him. McCauley's terrified of his pace. He can't go near him. There's a huge gap in behind him. That's where he's strong. How often are Rangers going to be up against that kind of situation? Yeah. That's the danger. Absolutely. Um, and just to close up, um, let's just go back over the Clyde once more time. Back over at Celtic, we are man David Turnbull. Um, one source that's saying it's happening, there's other sources saying Sheffield Wednesday, for example, are going to steal it. What we're hearing is basically a, he's potentially still up for it. It's not about money for him. It's about where he can further his career the best. Um, is this a case just agents trying to turn players' heads? What's, what's the situation here? I, th- I get very tired of reading about people criticising agents. I've seen it from a few ex-pros today. It's just... It's a nonsense. Like these people are employed to do their absolute. The agents will have agreed with him. The agents will know what kind of money Celtic players earn because they'll know other agents. Exactly. They'll have agreed with the player before. This is what we're going in looking for. And even if he's not there, if Celtic make an offer and it's nowhere near, they'll yeah. say, "Well, we agreed with our client that we'd be getting this. We're not having it." I grew up in an era where Jim McLean was signing players to ten-year contracts. You know, was that was that was that good? You know, it's ridiculous. Agents are there to make sure these young men who don't have always the wherewithal to ensure that they are well protected in in this big bad world where people will exploit you and football is worse (laughs) than what people generally suffer um, in in their careers. Um, you know, agents are there to make sure that these people are looked after, and of course they're going to try and get the best deal possible. I find the demonisation of agents, and of course there are a few bad ones, but the general demonisation of agents is just ridiculous. They're an important part of football. They're they're there because they're needed. Um, because otherwise, what you had back in the day, before agents came at the fore was that the clubs were all powerful and players were exploited. I think there is an argument to say it's gone too far the other way. When you look at like the super agents, Mino Raiola and George Mendes, they probably do have too much power where clubs will just basically only buy players from them. It does go too far in that situation. Now, obviously, we don't know the intricacies of this negotiation with Turnbull, but I think Johnny's right. Just to sort of blame it on the agents, it's a really sort of it's fashionable... Cheap, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a sort of fashionable thing to do with everyone. Oh, agents, they're greedy, whatever. As I said... They'll they'll be representing what Turnbull wants. They'll have agreed with Turnbull what they're going to go in and ask for because they'll know what players kind of of his level are earning at Celtic because agents will talk to each other. So if Celtic aren't willing to meet that, 
then whose fault is that really? Yeah, and, and Celtic are absolutely right as well to say, well, we've got an amount that we're going to spend and we're prepared to give a player who's 19 years old. Oh, absolutely. Because there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a lot of moving elements at a football club. If, if they give um, David Turnbull, say, 25 grand a week and Callum McGregor, say, for example, and I don't know what he's on, but say he's on 28, he might turn around and say, or even less, he'll turn around and say, right, I want a new contract because absolutely. you're paying him that. Of course well. And then there's players that Celtic have on their own dime. Uh, already in the club like Karamoko Dembele who's extremely talented who might say well wait a minute David Turnbull's getting 21 grand a week I want at least 11 because like are you telling me that I'm not uh, on his level in terms of talent so it's uh, there's a lot of things a lot of plates that they're trying to spin here so no one's wrong that's the thing you don't I think people sometimes think you have to take a side you have to be on team Turnbull or team Celtic actually there's, there's none of that it's just about whether or not they can bring this deal together. I think Turnbull will be an excellent an excellent signing for Celtic. But similarly, I think Celtic are absolutely right not to pay more than they, they than, than they feel is worth. Yeah, if they if they if they've got an offer they've got in mind and it's nowhere near the what he and his agents want, then that's not really anyone's fault. That's just that's just how it is. Indeed. Right. Well, on that note, that's perfect. And um, we'll just close that one up there. That's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow for 4 pm, just in time to make your daily work commute a wee bit more bearable. You can get us at Football Scotland website, on our social media channels, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Football underscore Scott. And you can ask a question, make a comment individually, or just give us dogs abuse. So you can get me at Captain Howdy, Johnny on. At Johnny R. McFarlane. And Gaby on. At Gaby McKay. Cheers for listening. We'll get you tomorrow. Ciao.